0: All right, so um, how many of you watch pro wrestling? Okay, so how many of you are not confessing to watching pro wrestling? Okay. Um, so if you've never watched pro wrestling, maybe you've watched a football game or any other type of sports. Um, when the team comes out on the field, what happens? Anyone know? Yeah, there's there's music music just starts blaring, and it's called hype music. It's supposed to get the audience ready to go, right? And so for pro wrestling, it's, it's each wrestler has their own particular music that they come out to. And in baseball, they do the same thing. If you go to a major league game, uh, as the batters come out to take to bat the hit, um, they have their own theme music. And so in college, we actually did this, the, the college wanted to do this for us as players, and so we got to pick out our own music and we would walk out to it. Well, we had um, m- one of my friends, his name was Cody. Uh, he was my roommate and we always liked to, you know, mess with Cody as much as we could. And because he had a great sense of humor and uh, it was really fun. So he had picked out his song and some of us got together and we changed it. And I don't know if you know the song by Aerosmith called Dude. And you might know it as Dude Looks Like a Lady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when that song comes on, it comes out screaming, Dude looks like a lady. Okay. He gets up out of the... Out of the where, you know, the dugout, he starts walking, and all of a sudden this blares over the loudspeakers. And they crank it to maximum. And without missing a beat, Cody looks up, waves, and does a little shake, goes up and hits a double. Comes back and says, that's my song from now on. And so, great guy, but it was such a memorable moment for us as a team, and we really kind of gathered around that idea of, you know, just um, how, how much camaraderie can happen with that. But it really hyped up everyone, and especially Cody. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to hit a double. And so, but it's this idea of music, entrance music, that we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. And we're starting off our Christmas series um, that we're calling, no, chapter 2. That's for something else. Um, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So you can open up the Luke chapter 2. But if you're following along in your notes, you can put Luke there for chapter 1 as well. Because we're starting our Christmas series and we're calling it That Night. And so we're specifically looking at the night that Jesus was born. And so we're not going to be talking about wise men. So if your favorite part of the Christmas story is the wise men, I'm sorry. If your favorite part is the star, I'm sorry. We're not going to be covering those. But we're going to be covering um, three weeks and we're going to be doing this all in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to be spending a lot of time just in these 20 verses. All right. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about Luke. Luke is not an original disciple. He wasn't a part of the 12 or the the bigger groups of 72 or the 120. Instead, he was a traveling companion of Paul and Paul wrote most of the New Testament and Paul is a very intelligent guy, but so is Luke. Luke is a doctor and so for his time he's very well educated. And I want you to hear the the reason why Luke writes his letter all right, or write his writes his gospel. Okay, and this is Luke 1. So it's Luke 1, 1-4. He says, many have, undertaken, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who f- from the first w- were witnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, so Luke writes specifically to make sure that an orderly account happens. And so as we're going through Luke, okay, we want to make sure that we're seeing all the little details because Luke is trying to give us the most accurate picture of Jesus' life. And so this idea is really important because Luke. I've heard it said that Luke is considered the most historically accurate of any ancient document in the terms of uh, geography, in the terms of cultural um, setting. And so when we're going through this, we really gotta pay attention to what everything's that's going on in a passage. And so we're gonna try to do that for the next three weeks. Sound good? Well, if not, it's too late. Okay, the bulletins are made up and everything. So we're doing this. All right. So we're going to read through every week, Luke 2, 1 through 20. And the reason why we're doing this is because I believe that going through the scriptures again and again brings out newness. And so God's word is a living word, meaning that it can impact us not in the sense of we can change it, but in the sense that God's word impacts us. And every time we read it, we should be getting new and wonderful things out of it. So we're going to read this three times in the next three weeks, right? So let's start off right now. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Luke, it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus is issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Canarius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And in this Christmas passage, we have four principal um, groups. And we have the parents, we have the angels, we have the shepherds, and we have the baby. Well, we only have three weeks to go until Christmas. So one of them is going to be voted off the island. Okay? Sorry, parents, you're off. Okay? So if if Mary and Joseph are your favorite part of the Christmas story... We won't be talking about them this week, all right? Sorry, these next three weeks. So, we're going to only be focusing on the angels, the shepherds, and the baby. All right? So, as we're focusing on them, let's focus right now on, um, on the angels. All right? So, if you're following along in your notes, the word angel that we translate into English, angel, right, is only found about 290 times in the Bible. All right? Now, the English Standard Version has about 281. The NIV, which we're um, t- using here, has about 290. And so it's roughly in that area. And the reason why is because the, the two words that are translated English, angel, the Hebrew and the Greek words, those that actually translate the best as messenger. Okay, so messenger is used a lot throughout the scriptures, a, a lot. But when we're talking about angelic beings or spiritual beings, that's when we get the angel in our Bibles. Does that make sense? Okay. Because actually humans are called angels in the, in the Bible as well because angel just means messenger. Okay. So when you see messenger in the Bible, it's usually going to be the word that's associated with what is angel. All right. And so, but the actual use in talking about angels is about 290 times. All right. Now, it's really interesting. I went through this whole thing and looked at every single verse. And it's really interesting. About 90 of those are specifically talking about this angel called the angel of the Lord. And if you were here for our Joshua series, you might know what that is. There's a a talk about that might be a pre-incarnate or pre-Jesus. Okay, it's Jesus but not the way we know him, okay? And so it's just a very interesting thing that we can't get into because I've been told uh, you need to turn down your sermons about 20 minutes. So um, we're not gonna get into all that. So if you laugh, you know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and you're probably thinking, finally. Uh, and so, but this angel, there are roles that angels play throughout the scriptures, One of the main ones is just being messengers, and that's where we see right here, right? We see an angel talking to the shepherds, and it's it's interaction. And so there's a lot of interaction throughout the scriptures of angels coming and declaring things. Another role is found in the book of Revelation. Now, in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of little roles that happen. So you have angels and the seven trumpets. You have angels, seven bulls. You have angels of uh, east, east, west, south, north. I totally did not say that like you usually say it. So north, south, east, west. There we go. And you have angels over the water. You know, all these different angels doing all these different roles. And so, but there's another one that's really important throughout the scriptures. And it's actually throughout the Bible. And that's the role of praise. Angels are created to be praise givers. Okay, praise giving back to God. I want to share with you a couple of those different verses that happens throughout the scriptures. So, this, the first one is Job 38, verses 6 through 7. Listen to what it says. Oh, what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone, while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? This is talking about creation. God's creating, and the angels are saying, Go get them, God. You're amazing. They're shouting for joy as God creates, and they're his hype music, and they're saying, yeah, God, go, right? In Psalms, we get this, in two Psalms, the first one's 103, Psalm one hundred three twenty, it says this, Praise the Lord, you, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. A few Psalms later, Psalm 48, we get this, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his heavenly hosts. And so the psalmist there is saying, hey, angels, do your job, praise God. And in those Psalms, he's actually calling not just the angels, but all of creation. Creation, praise God, angels, praise God, everyone get together and praise God. And so, all of this is together. But listen to what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, listen to how they put this whole thing of, the first two are, the angels actually praising, right? And I want to trip you. And she didn't think I was going to do that. Alright, so Hebrews, listen to what Hebrews 12.22 says. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, so he says, you've come here. Now, Picture this in your mind: you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Think about that. Have you ever seen a really big choir? Like okay, let's let's take a um, an estimate here. What? Let's see who has seen the biggest choir. Yeah, how big? I don't know how many were in it, but I was in Salt Lake City at the. At the uh, oh, the. Um, Yeah, the Tabernacle Choir? Okay. Well, that that doesn't help us because that doesn't give us a number. Anyone know a number? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That is a number. That is correct. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Any numbers of choirs that you know? Anyone? But there's been some big ones. Anyone seen like a hundred-person choir? Okay. How about a thousand? I've never seen that either. I was just wondering if anyone... That's a bad, school fire. So. Yeah. Um, I, the biggest one I've ever seen is, was a hun- about 100. I was at the Memorial Coliseum and the
1: pastor's seminar. There was 7,000 men
0: and they were all singing. Yeah. So if you've ever been a part of a huge gathering of people just singing... It's an amazing experience because even though you might be able to pick out a, a voice, but they're all so flowing together. And it doesn't matter how bad you are. You sound beautiful in that choir. Because all your me- messes get brought into this heavenly, this just beautiful thing that God has given us in, our, in the voices. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at camp. Yeah. At youth camp, yeah. It is really cool. And one of the things I like is when you all start singing, I mess up. Because I forget to sing because I'm listening to your guys' singing. And it's one of my favorite things. And so, but this idea of just thinking about thousands, right? Thousands of angels singing back to God. But don't just picture that. Picture this in the book of Revelation chapter 5 and 7 and both in the 11th and 12th verses listen to the way it's described then I looked this is Revelation chapter 5 verses 11 12 then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 They circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Think about that. Just thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, times tens of thousands, just praising all at one time. And they're all, yeah, well, maybe not Bobo the... The angel. He's kind of a no. Um, that's not scriptural. I don't know if you know that. Anyways, Revelation a couple a couple of chapters later, she's back. Mm-hmm. She was watching you this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, what, Revelation chapter seven. All the angels were standing around the throne. I love that. It just says all the angels at this point. I can't. So I love that because it's almost like he said, "I'm done trying to count." All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Have you ever listened and just someone just fell down and it's like a thump? Mm-hmm. Think about the thump that happened. When you have tens of thousands of angels hit their faces in praise. What kind of boom that would have been? Yeah. They fell down on their faces before the throne, worship God, saying, "Amen! Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, Amen." Just the the picture of that happening is um, to me amazing, and I hope we notice something throughout this. That as the Bible is mentioning all these things, right? That the Bible is going through here, and it's showing us that the praise of the angels happens because I just shared with you all the verses that that point to us to this about the angels praising. And they're always praising at momentous occasions when God is doing something or God has done something. And so every time God does an extraordinary work, you have angels right there praising him for it being his hype people, being the theme music behind it all. And there are three major things that we see throughout Scripture that they're praising him for. First, we saw creation, right? We saw the creation. God's creating and the angels are saying, you're great, God. Keep it going. We see in Revelation that salvation, the lamb who was slain, This is praiseworthy. And then we get what we see in Luke chapter 2 verses 13 and 14. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The last one we have is the incarnation. It's actually in the center of both those. Creation, incarnation, salvation. Jesus Christ Coming. God Himself saying, I'm going to wrap myself in human flesh and I'm going to walk with my creation and then die for my people. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Yeah. That is a huge thing. And you know how we know it's a huge thing? Angels singing. If you, can't, if you don't know that it's a big deal... There's only three times that we see angels sing throughout the Bible. First one's about creation. The last one's about salvation. And the one in the middle is the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth. That's how you know how important it is. Because the angels only sing when real big things are going off. And so, what about us? This year has been a really hard year. Yeah. Amen. I mean, this—any anyone figure this Christmas last year that we would go through viruses, riots, the political season that we're still going through? Anyone ever think that? No. 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 This year has been a really hard year for a lot of different people. And it's been a scary year for a lot. It's been fearful. But the whole purpose of the incarnation is to bring peace. Peace between humanity and God because we're rebellious and we're sinful and we need that peace, but it's also peace between brothers and sisters. This is the church. We as the church are supposed to live at peace with each other. And as much as Paul says in First Thessalonians, as much as we can with the world. God has come. And this is a praiseworthy thing. So in the world that's going into chaos, like we're seeing, what is the response of us as Christians? Because it's easy, it's really easy to get our eyes off of God in all of it, right? It's really easy to say, you know what? God, I know you're supposed to be in control, but right now, my friends and family are hurting. They have a virus or they, they lost their job or they've lost someone or, you know, and the oars keep going on it's like, God, I just don't see it. And I'm fearful, and I'm hurting, and I just don't see it. It's really easy for this world to be able to take our eyes off of God. But what does God want from us? What does God want? He wants us to be like the angels. He wants us to praise. The praise, you know, Paul says rejoice in all things. Why? because rejoicing praising God for what he's done and what he's doing always gets our eyes off of what's going on here and puts them where they should be last week we talked about eternal perspective that when we have an eternal perspective then we start understanding the things going on around us that these things that we go through that are painful and they hurt one God's going to work them out if we it says that if we love him so if we're going after him God's going to work them out and two, God is a just God, and God's going to deal with these things. And so no one's going to get out. You know, it's really easy to see someone and go, man, they, they have everything going for them, and they, nothing ever bad goes for them, and they're a jerk. When are they going to get theirs? And God says, don't worry about them. Your eyes are supposed to be on him right? Our eyes are supposed to be on God. It doesn't matter about what's going on around us. And when our eyes are there, and that's all done through the praise of his people. When we start praising God, we join with the angels and we say, I'm going to praise God. It doesn't matter. I'm going to praise him in the virus. I'm going to praise him in the economy. I'm going to praise him no matter what the president does. I'm going to praise him Because no matter what, he's still on his throne and he's worthy of my praise. And so we need to start praising more and more. If nothing else is said about us, we need to be said when people pass by, man, that person doesn't stop talking about praising God. That's something that should be said of us. And so here's my challenge this week for you. It's very simple. Five minutes a day, that's all I'm asking, five minutes a day, you praise God for one thing Jesus' birth nothing else for five minutes you can praise him later for whatever you want but for five minutes go before God and praise him for Jesus' birth and you can do this in a a bunch of different ways you can shout it Okay, you can make up your own song if you look at the angels I love the angels they're always making up new songs You know, if you go through Revelation, Revelation 4, they have a song. Revelation 5, they have a song. Revelation 7, they have a song. Make up a song of praise. Or, if you're not inclined, sing a Christmas carol. Praise back to God for the birth of Jesus. Because that starts everything. That starts everything. Jesus' birth radically changes everything. Just think, the calendar is supposed to revolve around it. They kind of messed up, but hey, you know, they tried. They gave it a good college try. But that birth changes everything. And we're going to go into a time of communion. So um, if I could get the people back up there. We're going to go into a time of communion. Because this is really what it is. Communion with God. Being in relationship with God. And we're going to praise him through the communion time. So if I could get um, the guys to come on up to do the communion. And as we're going to do this, we're going to take the bread and we're going we're to pass that around. And then we're going to take a cup and we're going to do that. Right. But as we do this, um, we're going to talk about what the birth is in communion. So guys, if you would like to start that,
1: I'd be down. So as we do this,
0: we're going to sing through nothing but the blood. We're going to sing the first two verses, and then we're going to sing the chorus.
1: Away, my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the
0: Piece of bread I was thinking about this morning and I shared it with our first service that when we're reading this story it talks about the baby and how he's wrapped in cloth right this is God wrapped wrapped in humanity wrapped in human flesh and we're talking about the the body right and scripture says the body is broken for us thank you The body is broken for us. The wrapping of God in humanity is broken for us. And as we're taking the bread, we're communing with this God that says, I will come. I will wrap myself in this flesh. And I will go to a cross. And I was thinking about this that the baby is wrapped in cloth, right? And then at the cross, that cloth is ripped away. And he's bare on the cross. And it's this idea that he came, and it was so sweet, so gentle, and we just ripped it away. And he still does it. He stays on the cross for us. And dies for us. And that's what we're praising Him today for, that He broke for us. So this Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who is willing to come. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to come. Thank you for wrapping yourself in our humanity. Not sinning, but being that innocent life lord i um for me, forgive me for putting you on that cross by my sin, but thank you for being willing to go and doing it for me, and I thank you for my brothers and sisters as well. Let us praise you as the angels do, because you are a great and glorious God. Thank you. May our worship of you be worthy of you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let, let's take. And we're going to take the, take the juice.
1: Nothing can force an tone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Not of good that I have done Nothing but the blood of Jesus This is all my hope and peace Nothing but the blood of Jesus Jesus. As we hold the cup, we have that
0: little innocent child, right? For those of you that have been around babies, and you know the innocence that is there. And then as they grow up, about two years old, it goes away <laughs> real fast. And yet, Jesus keeps that innocence all the way to the cross. Every step of the way, as that blood is coursing through his veins, he's innocent. And every step he takes, it's innocent. And he's moving to a place where he's paying the price for another's guilt. Every step. And as he hangs on the cross and the blood is coming down, that blood is innocent, but it's payment for us. All my guilt, all my sin, all my rebellion is covered in that blood. It's I am the cross, and Jesus' blood is covering me. He covers me. He covers you. It covers anyone that puts their trust in Jesus as their savior. As Jim shared that quote earlier, salvation is not for the righteous, it's for it's a free gift to the guilty. I am guilty. But by Jesus I'm forgiven and free. And as we take this cup, that's the representation. That's covering us, that we're in communion with the holy God whose angels sing his praise. And now we get to join the heavenly choir with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great and glorious. You do great and glorious things. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are truly the Prince of Peace, the mighty God. Lord, I thank you I thank you for the blood shed on the cross for us. And that we get to praise you as your children, as those that live in life, because you have defeated darkness. You have overcome death. And we praise you because someday we will be in eternity singing your praises. Lord, I thank you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take.